Hello and welcome to the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 298, and we have two special guests today. Are we supposed to say something here? I'm wondering who's showing up. Yeah, I don't know. Who are these special guests? Okay, we have two normal guests. Yes, it is us. Are we? Wait, are you going to announce us or do we have to say who we are? You have to say who you are. You've been on the podcast. Y'all have been on the podcast more than anyone else so far. Right, but shouldn't it be like, today we have a spe- special guest joining us from Wisconsin. It's Chris Kraft. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Now you do that same thing for me. What did you just say? I just did my radio voice. I can't remember. Okay. I was like, today on the MacroFab podcast, we have a special guest coming all the way down from Wisconsin. It's Chris Kraft, and I'm talking like William Shatner. Okay. Right. You know he's going to space? Anyways. I, I know. I saw that news article, and I thought, oh, God damn it, did he die? Right? Because I'm like, huh, Would that be William. the only way to get the spaces? <laughs> well, no. It's like, it's like William Shatner, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, Christ, did he die? And it's like, no, he's going to space. And I'm like, who? He will die sometime. Probably before you. Man. It's hard to be a downer on this. It's this early on the podcast. <laughs> All right, Chris, it's, it's your turn. Do okay. your radio voice. Well, I don't do a radio voice, but welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast with your special guest this week, Benjamin Heckendorn. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, everyone. Was that so hard? Kind of. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I felt like a we lot were, of pressure. We were it, doing your job for you. Usually I write it down, but, uh, you know, didn't do that this, this week. So Engineer Bob in chat says, no, special guests were the right word. <laughs> So this uh, week we have an interesting topic. I think that I think the politically correct term is developmentally challenged guests. <laughs> sure, if you want to put it that way. Um, Sorry. So we have a so Chris and Ben have been on the podcast many times before. Um, I don't have the episode numbers off on my cheat sheet here, but uh, go Google it and they'll be in the show notes as well. I think it's been it's like the fourth time you've been on the podcast. There was one time where we went fishing, and Ben was on the podcast, and then there was another time, I don't remember when, but there was the other time we were in actually the bomb shelter recording with Josh, our audio engineer, and Steven, and that was before Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. Right, before the studio got flooded. That studio yeah. was great. Comfy chairs. Comfy now chairs. it is a sunken subterranean yeah. hellscape. <laughs> I think I think they drained it, <laughs> but the studio is no more. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's been redeveloped or whatever. But yeah, yeah it's it called like nice it's like it's like called Post HTX or something like that now. Yeah, that's right. They're turning it into a mall. They were gonna keep recording there, but it turned out to be a sunk cost fallacy. Wah wah. Oh, this is that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're already eight minutes in this thing. We don't even have a topic yet. <laughs> it's 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 hot. I had the air conditioner. So we have a very interesting audio setup. We have like a room audio Yeti mic that's recording for Squadcast, which is what we use for recording audio and doing the broadcasting for our live show. And then everyone else is holding microphones. And then I'm using a boom mic. And then the here Steven, because he's in Colorado, he's over my big speak like 
he's being broadcasted in this room over like probably what is it two 12 inch speakers a six inch mid-range and then a tweeter how are you supposed to fit a turtle's head through this <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> so steve chris just gave the hush signal to ben <laughs> Well, at least let him get through the introduction. No, we, we're, we're done. This is professionality at its best. It's not perfect. Yeah, the audio will not be perfect. And then uh, I'm sorry, so sorry, Josh. We're probably going to have a lot of bleed over. Um, you're going to have a lot of work tomorrow morning to do. <laughs> I can see that. Now, Josh, he's the audio Jesus. He's the audio Jesus, yes. Okay. He'll fix it, but we do. So he things. will die for your audio sins. You are not forgiven. For today, yes. Okay. Yes. And then a good sounding file will come out three days later. No, tomorrow at like 4 p.m. Oh my God. Wow, that's faster than the real Jesus. If it happens again, it'll be more like the audio Jesus of Revelations who lays waste to all his enemies and the blood is up to the horse's knees. <laughs> that's, really good. that's really good turnover time. Oh, I mean, you get like the Domino's pizza tracker for Jesus. It's like, Jesus is on the cross. He's in the oven. Oh, he's finally coming out, out for delivery. <laughs> but your guy does it in one day. I find it remarkable that there is little to no shame that a podcast that has the word engineering in the middle of its name could be so poorly engineered on the audio front. Yeah, so for those listening to the podcast, y'all really miss out not being in the live stream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to make up for it. No, that's great, great. All right, so the, the, the serious topic today is, has open source run its course? I'm, I, <laughs> I apologize for that eight-minute intro. <laughs> you should qualify that by saying open source hardware. Yes, open source hardware. Has open source hardware run its course? And we already have DJ in Twitch chat saying no. <laughs> right, but it's not all caps, so I don't, I'm not sure if I really believe it. So given that you guys came up with this, this topic um, earlier today, I'm, I'm curious what you mean by run its course. Do you mean that it's worn out? Do you mean that no one cares anymore? Uh, what, what exactly are you meaning by that? I mean, I can give some context to like wh why we were talking about it, because I follow the uh, Rep Rap project a lot in the... Um, usually go to the Midwest Rip Fest every year and and uh, I was on the Reddit 3D printing sub not the there is a Rip Rap sub but I was on the 3D printing sub and someone asked they, they were trying to get a second printer and uh, someone suggested they use their current print printer Rip Rap kit and the response was what's that um, like people were replying going what's RepRap in a 3D printing forum and and I thought that's it like close up shop give it up it's gone I mean at least and granted we're being a you know exaggerating a bit or for, for dramatic flair but still when an idea is just gone it seems from the you know consciousness then you start wondering is is it you know are these ideas still in the forefront of people's minds or or are they kind of passe or just gone like people don't even think about it anymore yeah and and um on that it's 
it feels like in the at least in the 3D printing space for hardware, it's we're we're at the point where 3D printers are almost or actually are at the point as they're a commodity item. Especially I would say the inexpensive resin printers because you have people that are building like little models and figurines like Warhammer models and stuff like that. And these are people who would never would get in 3D printing otherwise. And they're doing it actually to save money and not to, you know, buy buy the actual legit, you know, models. Yeah, and, and lately I noticed that, at least in that side on the 3D printing, that most of the traffic seems to be people sharing pictures of things they printed and then everyone immediately asking for the STL files. Like, half the folks don't even want to bother learning the tools to come up with things or someone sending a picture of something and saying can someone give me the stl file for this or can someone find me the stl file it's 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 really kind well, of sad sounds, that they, like they're, they can't even google you know it sounds whatever. like you're differentiating though like the idea of 3d printers versus creating the files to put on the 3d printers i mean those are two completely different skill sets yeah and it, more what i'm trying to get at is that at least in the 3D printing side, you've got these printers that people can buy off of Amazon, get it delivered via Prime within, you know, a day or two, and or ten days during the pandemic. Yeah, and the, they'll either either a FDM or a resin printer, and the they're literally looking at it as a consumer item, like buying a printer, an inkjet printer, or you know, paper cutter or any of these devices. No, and, and no, I agree because when I bought my FDM printer, I was, I was using it as a hobby printer. What right? does FDM stand for? It's the one that looks like a glue gun. I'm, I'm saying you should probably differentiate the types for people listening. Sure. Go ahead. Oh, FDM is fused deposition modeling where it has the spool of material, it heats it up and it squirts it out and stacks up little lines. Now you're talking about SLA printers, which is kind of a, well, SLA or lithographic or Lithographic is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah, because SLA originally was like two converging laser beams in a vat of resin. Um, but those are the printers where, the typical way to do it now is have like an LCD panel and you shine a UV light through it. And then one, la one layer at a time, you change the image on the LCD panel and that creates basically the build layer and then you go basically you build it upside down yep. yeah and like you have a really high quality uh r-wing uh model that you printed right behind me you know, like from Star Fox. Mm -hmm. and if you dropped it you'd have wing damage <laughs> but it's but you're saying you're saying that those high detail models are appealing to people outside of basically i, I don't want to say mainstream because let's face it warhammer 40,000 is not mainstream but no it's not di mainstream. different niches no completely different niches and they wouldn't use a 3d printer otherwise like they are using it and that i was getting to that where when i bought my fdm printer i was modifying it and building on hardware and that kind of stuff and then when i bought my resin printer i'm like i just want to print stuff i want to use this like a laser printer and what? i think that's where that area has gone with hardware is it's now just like that you what and, model is that it looks like the uh what's the one that what's it sent me any cubic? What's the what's the one that's below? And any cubic is the ripoff of create creator. Is that this right? is an elegoo. Elegoo. Or that looks just like my any cubic photon mono. It's they're all it's very probably the same, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same thing. And then that kind yeah. of leads into a 
parallel of this discussion. That that was what would lead into this. Is basically we're at the point where at least in three D printing, open source hardware, there's is it has it run its course. That's uh, that's where we're leading into this with three D printing at least has open source hardware run its course and it, are we seeing that trend in other industries with open source hardware? Well, if you're talking about 3D printers in just 3D printers, I would say that it has run its course. Because if you think about the original uh, mission statement of RepRap was we want people to 3D print. RepRap was a rapidly reproducing machine where you'd use the machine to make more machines. That was, that was the original mission. Yeah, it still is their mission. I mean... It's right, or I that, could buy one for $100 off Amazon. Right. I mean, that's what's happened was, what has happened now is the commoditization of it and all the clones and the knockoffs of the clones has made it cheap to get. So the people who were involved in RepRap because they wanted a printer, now they can just get one off Amazon. I mean, is that any different from people back in the 70s that would make their own computers? out of discrete logic or like a Commodore Kim kit or an Altair 8800. It's like, oh, I want a computer. I have to build this. And nowadays, I can get a computer out of a gumball machine. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's like, you know, Chris, like, you know, 10 years ago, even more than that, you know, like, we would, like, hang out. We would, like, try to get your MIC wire working. We were wrapping Nichrome wire, which is what they use to make toast, around yeah, bolts. Yeah. To make extruders, it was extremely jank, and that was only ten years ago. Well, well, two thousand and nine that was. So yeah, not that long ago, and yeah. now it's become quite mainstream. And so I would, I would say it like this: It's like going back to the Jesus analogy. It's like if the rep rap people were the evangelicals. They want to convert the world to the religion of three D printing. I think they succeeded. So they're going around. They're Printing Bibles, uh, Kinkos, and, and craft, and now it's mass market. Like everyone, I, I don't think that works because the rep rap folks still have the same goal, which is machines that can reproduce themselves, and and it's not just about having cheap machines. That they have a goal that is machines that can reproduce themselves. I would say now it's more of a hobby, whereas ten years ago it was a necessity. Right. I, it's I, yeah, I, don't, so I wouldn't much. dispute that. I, I, I guess my point is that the the people who were in it for the the open nature of it, a well, lot of those could, people they could go play with Linux now. They they maybe weren't ever in it for the open part of it, and so now that they don't need they don't need the open stuff because they can just buy one of a dozen Chinese knockoffs. That's what they do, but I think that hurts the open hardware or well aspects of it. I mean, it is hardware. The the stuff that was open is hurt because a lot of the people who were in it weren't really in it, and and now there there it turned out all they wanted was a printer or wanted a cheap printer, and and now they can get that and without supporting. The, the open side, which is what got them where they are. And I mean, we're talking about 3D printing, but I think... I think you can apply that to a lot of open source hardware. Yeah. Because um, the big thing is, what you're getting at there is, when you design something for open source, 
to be able to develop the next scene, you need money to be able to do that. In, in terms of just building, even if you're just saying your labor is free in, for a designer, you still got to build prototypes and and get into production. Now you're getting to the fact that we're now 3D printers are now commodity items so that you can go on Amazon and buy a $200 3D printer that actually prints amazingly well compared to the, the printers. I, I remember the, the model, I made a model for, for Chris here a long time ago that was a, a Apollo capsule. And... Um, a different Apollo capsule? Was it the Apollo capsule or was it the... the that was Ben's design. Yeah. Oh, okay. The Apollo capsule. So was it the... No, it was the jug. Oh, the jug head. The jug head bomb. Oh, yeah. From the pinball you were going to build. That was 2011? Thing. Yeah. Yeah, because Chris still... Chris, Chris still has the first... Was that the first thing you printed on the McGuire? Was the Apollo first command thing capsule? printed that looked like something. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, he still has it. It looks like it looks like a melted crayon. <laughs> but he the still thing has is, it. It, it, and then so yeah, I, I'm getting my, my stories mixed up. But yeah, so that he he printed a Apollo capsule, um, Apollo 13 capsule. I think is what it was. Well, they're all the same. Yeah, but except that for was, one blew up. Sure, <laughs> but but it was all melted and it didn't really have any features. And then and then Chris printed. The same model, like a couple years later, and it's like like ten years later, and it's like perfect. Like you, it looks like it's injection molded, right? <laughs> and and it's just amazing the difference. I think it was. Um, well, Parker, think about it like this way: like you're uh, what's what's the guy's name, Alexander Graham Bell, and you're like, I'm still awesome on myself. And now here we are. We have four people talking over a computer and recording it with video. It's evolution. We're doing a really bad job at that right now, but yes. I think the point that, that I'm trying to make, and, and kind of related to what Parker was just saying, is like E3D, which is another company involved in 3D printing, they recently mm -hmm. published a uh, entry on their blog about how they're, they feel, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, everyone's welcome to go read it themselves. It's very well written, and but it's about their IP uh, and how they're taking actions to protect their IP because they've said in their post that they like to design things and then they like to make those things and then they like to sell them for profit because those profits feed back into the design and manufacturing so they can get better at it. Yeah. But other companies come along and they don't spend any time inventing anything. They just take the designs, make them, sell them, well, that cuts them off at the knees because they can't continue to keep developing new things, and that 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 hurts the whole community. Every time someone buys a knockoff of an E3, and there's tons of knockoffs on Amazon. It's ridiculous. Like, I accidentally bought a knockoff E3 E3D off Amazon. I didn't even realize it was a knockoff until I tried to fix it. Then I realized it didn't have a copper core, and I'm like, this is a knockoff. Then I bought another one. Another knockoff? No, the, the the second one also had a copper core. Or did have a copper core, I'm sorry. So, Chris, I, I think what you were getting into is uh, is sort of exactly the crux of the whole problem there. And, if, and in fact, I, I Googled 
before we started this podcast, I just Googled open source hardware and just, I wanted to see what is the internet going to feed me when you just search open source hardware. And I came up with, with two results. And the first, like the first of many results was like, what what Ben was saying, it's the evangelical stuff. It's the whole, hey, we're going to sell open source idea to you. We're going to sell this this concept of open source. And then the second uh, thing that you get from Google searches is just a bunch of people saying, do you have open source XYZ? Because I want it. And what's what's interesting is there's not like that, that um, sort of that purity that you're talking about of the community coming together to actually create something there really wasn't a lot of that. So so if somebody gets like an inkling for searching for open source whatever on Google, you you sort of get fed a concept and then a bunch of just I want I want I want. And it's I mean it's exactly what you're saying there. Yeah, and like another example to show like going beyond the realm of 3D printing. I this will be relevant to you, but like I've been buying uh Euromac Euro rack modules and like mutable instruments makes wonderful and unique and fascinating modules and I don't know if it's Emily or Emil I don't know what's pronounced the the, the designer's name um, but she basically recently re announced she's retiring and they're not going to have any new products uh, after Beats and the they'll still sell old modules but she's done designing new stuff and I can't help but wonder if you look online you will see so many clones of mutable instrument modules because it's all open it's all open hardware and clones I mean you can get the firmware the schematics everything so are people just the fact that so many people just take and take and take and they're not giving anything back I mean, I, I'm sure she had a complicated reasons for retiring, but I can't help but think that after a lifetime of giving and maybe not receiving that you just say, you know what, I, I don't need this anymore. And then that that kills, that hurts all of us. You know? that's, that, that's that purity I'm talking about. It kills the purity. Yeah, and um, I mean, that's what happened with, uh, ben and I's uh, the, the first pinball controller we designed, which was the Pinhead controller, <laughs> um, very, actually very aligns with this. Is um, it was all open source, um, and we open sourced it because we wanted people to take it, improve on it, learn from it, and then a uh, manufacturer in China basically ripped us off and. Fortunately, none of those came stateside, so it didn't really hurt our sales. Well, almost none. Almost none. Um, not enough that we care about, I guess. But it, one of the things was, with open source, what I wanted to put in is, the whole point of open source is to learn. At least in hardware, for me. is like I like looking at open source designs, so I can see what other parts people are using, how they're using it. Um, and how their circuits are working so I can learn from that and become a better designer myself. And and so that was actually one of the things is when this this company over in China ripped us off on this design, I said, hey, all you gotta do to, because we were using creative license, oh, was creative commons with like share like. The, so the like acknowledgement. Yeah, so all you gotta do is like, you can copy it, just like you gotta post your, it's gotta stay open source 
And you got to acknowledge that you copied us. All you got to do. And they didn't do any of that. And that kind of, for me, kind of killed... Like, before that, all my stuff is open source. Like, you can go on my GitHub. Everything's open source. After that, I have actually pretty much nothing. It just kills it. It kills your passion. I think there's an intersection where you're like... Ooh, I want to save the world and I want to make this open source design that's free for everyone, blah, blah, blah. And then once you make money from it, you're like, oh, I like making money from this thing. And then capitalism, you know, squeaks its greasy tendrils in. But then you're like, ooh, I'm making money from this thing. And then someone else comes along and since it's open source, they took my money. No, well, the thing about this is, is they just didn't abide by the license that we put out, which was... You gotta acknowledge it and just post your improvements. So guess what? I can go look at your improvements and go, that's a good idea. I should incorporate it myself. They had a very good sound amplifier on that machine. Yes. I played it. It would've been nice to look at the design. Well, <laughs> and, and I've heard from a few folks, like open hardware folks, or whatever, who've said, you know, one of the sources of frustration for them is they, they open up a design, they share it, and then the community isn't sharing back. Like, if you look at the top contributors, it's basically them. And at oh, some point sure. they go, well, I put in this effort to make it open, and basically all I got were cloners, and that's it. And then you go, well, why go through that effort to make something open and support it, and then if you're the only person who's supporting it, and the only other participants are people stealing, or not stealing, but either cloning or or stealing uh, your design. Again, that, that saps that enthusiasm. I mean... Yeah, because usually, since you're the designer and open source enabler, I guess, it's a good way for it, is um, you also have to support those clones. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. And, like, I thought about another... Um, uh, I recently bought the uh, Caster and Polex module from Winterbloom, and she also has like everything is open, and, it, and it's great. And in that case, when I bought it, I wasn't sure I would participate myself. I mean, I appreciate that it's open, but <laughs> that I, <comment's> funny. <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> know if, we'll if I um, was going to be able to participate, but I sent her an email where, you know, I mean, I bought it. I mean, I paid her it but then I sent her an email saying hey thank you thank you for making this you know device thank you for opening it I know that it isn't necessarily easy and it can't isn't maybe always rewarding but I made that effort to just recognize and say I appreciate what you do and I, I just think that if you are relying on anything that's open hardware well open software too but if, if there's something that's open and that you're using it, you know, man, just take a minute to write the person a note saying thank you. So uh, perhaps this is a distilled capitalism, but giving somebody money for the thing that they created is in a way saying thank you for what you did. Yeah, and, and I did that and I said her thank you because I just figure if you want to see more of something, you you got to reckon, you got to, Say, you know, you gotta you. own up. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a problem with open source. 
it conflicts with our inherent greed and capitalistic nature. Where it's like, I made this thing. Ooh, look at all these likes. Look at all this accolade. Oh, look, here's a dollar. What can you use to pay your rent? Hmm? The shiny lights. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, I, that, that's the badge life creeping in on I me. Mean, I mean, that, that's the same thing with us, Parker. Like, we were doing those, we had those boards. We were like, they were open source. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as someone, like, took it without acknowledging it, we're like, close everything down. Give us all the monies. Well, no, it of wasn't, course, but we're both unabashed capitalists, which is different. Yeah, but it wasn't about the money because it wasn't going to hurt us, right? But it was the fact that they that and they denied I th it. Online. I think they denied it, yeah. but it was the. I think it was being. I would assume that at least when they were called out, they would at least just acknowledge the license because it would have been easy to acknowledge the license. You got all you had to say is like, "Yes, we used the schematic from the pinheck," and then. Here's our schematic. Well, they also copied the code. Yeah, that too. But that, <laughs> that's easy to do. You, yeah. It's it so easy for them to just to follow that See, role. See, at first I was actually honored. I'm like, oh my God, it's finally happened. We've been ripped off by someone in China. <laughs> it was like a badge of honor. It was like getting my cherry popped. But then when they were like, oh no, we didn't copy this from you. And I'm like... Oh, that's it. Yeah, You're that going was, down. That was that was the start You're going of, down. That was the start of it. I'm yelling timber. But but yeah, I, it's sung in a while. I, I think <laughs> if if we consider the other possible scenario, if they had said Oh Han, Han, Han. Wait, lost oh, no. me? We lost everyone. I'm, I'm not liking this. I'm not liking this because we just lost audio. I don't know like why. A while ago? This is audio Jesus with an inserted editor's note. I removed about four minutes of insanity, but I've left you with a few seconds so you can see what I had to deal with. Another <laughs> I am Robo Chris. So honestly, this is the first time I ever heard we my We will Chris. add your distinctiveness to our own. Okay. Oh boy. I need more beer. Yeah, get another beer. Um, this is what happens when you record on a potato. <laughs> Chris, you've become a modem. <laughs> but listen to me. Oh man, um, so I we. Mean, I know what I was talking about, but I can't. Another knockoff? Josh can probably just. Jesus. He can heal the audio. Heal the audio. It's not the first time that stuff has happened. Or even the fifth time. He can bring the audio back from the dead. Um, like Lazarus. Yeah, we, we need to send Audio Jesus uh, a six pack of beer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've heard. Um, we turned this water to beer for you. <laughs> I'd go with you turned the audio wine into diarrhea. <laughs> and that's still working. I am not getting audio through the mood to anymore, though. That's so funny. here I've deleted a few more minutes of technical malfeasance and decided to bring you back in in the middle of their conversation about Christian music and rainbow songs because it's kind of amazing. How many Jesus songs are there? <laughs> so Jesus, I, he knows me. More than enough. More than enough. You know what I wonder? Is no like pop song. How many songs? How many Jesus songs? left Chicago? Did you come here to play Jesus? What What was your What was your thing the other day, Ben? What I wonder about isn't songs about Jesus, but songs about rainbows. Because you know, like the Rainbow Connection song is. He says, "Why are there so many songs about rainbows?" But there aren't any songs about rainbows. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like it Wait, doesn't make any sense. Are there songs? Of, wait. What was that song from Wizard of Oz with the rainbow? Somewhere over the... Somewhere over the rainbow. Okay, so there's 
two songs if you include the song about Rainbow Rainbow Connection, which is a song about why are there so many songs about rainbow? That's a good question. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Are you talking about a song that includes a rainbow or a song about? No, he's talking about the song, the that was like Muppet song, right? Muppet song, yeah. yeah. Rainbow Connection. About rainbows? About rainbows. Uh, The Hawaiian dude. Well, that's over the rainbow, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's the same song, just sung by a Hawaiian dude. There's a lot of songs about rain. Rain is a common. You know, we should put put this in the podcast. Yeah, but I'm still trying to figure out the rainbow. Or are we putting this in the podcast? This is not in the podcast. No, we could be. We're streaming. What what about every song by the band Rainbow? We're going to pick up exactly where we left off. No, we're not. One, two, three. Okay. Okay, we're back. We're back. We're back. Yeah, so chat, um, help us get back on track real quick. I do like this comment earlier, which is uh, DJ says from chat, openness is good for repairability and maintainability. A CC non-commercial license allows people to create a copy of a thing, but not steal your profit from it. That is exactly what we were trying to do with the pinhack. And I see the next comment after that says... CC, does that equal China copy? <laughs> what was I not supposed to read that out loud? No, you can read that one. No, that's me. <laughs> that was Steven's comment. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, you know, it's totally a thing. Like, what's it? What's how do they say it? Like, they make yours during the day and theirs at night. I mean, it happens. I mean, yeah. it's just part of life. And I, I think my kind of my feeling on that is like, we, we can talk about Creative Commons and this license and that license, but what I've noticed again and again and again is that when companies start getting their designs just wholesale taken because either someone doesn't honor the, and they don't have the legal wherewithal to fight it, what happens, I've noticed, is that the open hardware, like, will just say, okay, I give up, and then that's it, it's over, it's done. And, And to me, every time we lose one person, it, it hurts because to me all these open hardware projects are like gems I mean they're, they're precious and and we need to like support them as best as we can because that's what you want I mean there I am I, I am always just so happy when I go to a website and see that oh there's the source code and there's the repo with the you know the, the files so that I could reproduce the schematics if I wanted to and I, I just am always overjoyed because yeah, supportability, maintainability, the ability to fix it, and it's just they just it, it's just to me it seems like it's so easy for them just to get wiped out. Well, here's overnight. a okay devil's advocate. If it's open source, why should you complain if someone copied it? It, it depends on. It depends on. I see Stephen did a thumbs up again. I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not assigning morality. I'm just asking a question. Yeah. So for me, it's all about. I've said this a couple times on the podcast already, but it's it's to learn. The whole reason for open source is to spread your knowledge, allow other people to learn from you, and then people improve on that, and then you learn back. Or I can go to college and learn how to do something from a professor, and then make money from that knowledge. That's why that not the same as stealing from. Open source? Now I'm really getting in the weeds. Yeah. Heavy rough. The chat's like, Ben is drunk, go home. No, the uh, Awesome Blossom says, we need a Batman for open source. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean that, but there's some truth behind that, right? There's no like governing body or someone who is an authority, right? What what's the society called? Is it OSS? Oh, OSH Open Hardware, or O God Open Source Association, Open Source Hardware Association, something like that. Yeah. Um, they tried to do that. I don't think anyone. So, my opinion only. I don't think a lot of people really care about that. But if it's Here's the thing. If it's open source, that means, you know, we have all of the Creative Commons attributes share like blah, blah, blah. But it's still out there. It's kind of like an honor system. you know. It like, is an honor system because all it takes is, I'll put it this way, for example, that company in China that ripped off the Pinheck. Right. Is we had no legal recourse to do anything about the license. The only thing we can do is if it came stateside, mm-hmm. then we can block it. Because all we, cause even we, though the cost of us trying to block it would greatly exceed any damages. Yeah. Well, for that, yes. Yeah. Because um, there was only a couple that actually made it stateside. Because we we would have to go through customs basically and say they infringed on copyright, and then we could block. Actually, I don't think it actually would cost I mean, that what much. I'm, what I'm getting at is, like, you have open source software, like, oh, this is open for everyone. But when you start complaining about the fact that someone stole it, as we did. I mean, isn't that kind of giving up the trope of altruism and going into capitalism, or like into jealousy, where it's like, where's my cut? Like, well, no, it wasn't even about that. They just, they just disregarded the license, and they needed to be true to the license. Right, but what if that guy would have cut us both a check for fifty grand? Then would we care? Uh, then they would be admitting to what the license was about. Then I could have not bought a new Tesla with that money. <laughs> No, the thing is, if they cut us a check, they would be admitting that, one, they copied us, mm-hmm. which is part of the license, is admitting that you copied us, and then open sourcing what they built. So we would have to give up that second part. Right. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I'm saying is that if you want to keep... It's like an ecosystem where basically people are taking advantage of the openness to profit off of it but not feeding back into i mean there's even there's there's been projects That's where a good point you know like uh, a couple of the companies in china where they'll make changes and they don't submit the source back to the to the source trees or anything they don't even share the code because their attitude is like but it's a risk for them too because they benefit from the fact that they were able to start off of someone else's work and they don't have to pay any engineers Right, and and as you talk about these people are they're not they're stealing the work from like you know sole proprietor someone in a bedroom or whatever they're not stealing it from Microsoft or Google right. or Apple or some corporation that you know with their walking around money can sue them into oblivion. Yeah, the normal person can't do that. I mean, the person I mentioned earlier, Winterbloom, man, she's one person shop. Yeah. I mean, you steal if someone clones her design, that's like her food money. You know, like yeah. that's not. She's not driving around in a... Well, I don't know what she drives around, so I shouldn't say anything. But I just know that that a lot of these um, small-time uh, hardware people are already not, you know, living, you know, amazing... Not like wealthy. Parker, who has a garage with two air conditioners in it. I'm going to... I'm. I, you, I guess that makes me a one percenter. You No, you're a 0.05 percenter. <laughs> 
I have a garage with an air conditioner in it. <laughs> but you got me beat. Another thing along. You don't this need line. Oh, you don't need an air conditioner up in Wisconsin. BS. My you've been my garage gets hot. You, I actually, but you're right. I'm not going to put one in. Um, <laughs> an, another thought that I had was like I, I try to support projects off of uh, Tindy a lot, and I've noticed lately. You got me. <laughs> I, I've noticed a lot of. Projects that are basically on hiatus or sleeping in—it's usually because of the part shortages—and I wonder if the part shortages are indirectly also hurting open hardware projects. Because if you can't even get, because you're manufacturing limited quantities and selling them on razor thin margins, and now you can't even get the parts you need to sell what you have. But again, if someone is able to and takes your design and runs with it you know so i wonder if like the parts shortages might be somehow kind of feeding into what's hurting some of these open developers you, you definitely see that in microcontrollers especially in the arduino world where you see at mega 328ps or like out of stock everywhere really the, uh, yeah that's one of the most in stock chips when i've looked it's out of stock everywhere oh well again yeah. you know 10 minutes has passed um it, all the SAMD, especially the SAMD 21Gs, are out of stock everywhere. Yeah, and apparently they stick those in those new Python TI84CE pluses. Have you heard this? Yeah. You the, need to break down the one. No, I didn't. I, I've been trying to buy one, but I can't. Quick buy them. <laughs> Someone chat says there's 3,000 in stock. Oh, Go at, buy them right now. At Mega 328 piece. Buy them and sell, resell them on eBay right now. <laughs> that chip is so ancient. Yeah, but all the thing is, all those wafers are are out are are hard to manufacture right now because there's just no stock of them. And so, STM, you can't find an STM to save your life. Yeah, I think I think that's because STMs are used in a lot of industry because they are like the almost cheapest microcontroller that's made by a reputable manufacturer. What about Freescale? That's big for cars or NXP. Um, yeah, those are all out too. Oh, here's a here's a question. <laughs> Here's a question to completely change topics. I see like Intel or AMD, probably, or Intel, you probably know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Very, very uh, self-fulfillingly saying, well, these other car manufacturers need to get out of the dark ages and start stop making these primitive chips. They need to make things with the high transistor counts we sell. Yeah. No. We should be, you should be using hardware that, so... Am I, this it's, already, it's already bad enough that we put 50,000 microcontrollers in every car because if you're missing one microcontroller, that car doesn't go off the assembly line. But if you make it even more complicated, like, oh, it's not just like 20 arm microcontrollers. It's like 20 microcontrollers with like three nanometer process. Like, yeah. Because that's what it's all about because Intel, what they really want to do is they want to use their plants to make the microcontrollers that are like three nanometer processors or whatever instead of like the 80 nanometer processors yeah, 80 for 40, modern, yeah. modern arm. It's just, it's just, they're just trying to like get money. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those, because um, the whole thing with the plan to build chip fabs here in America is those are only going to be high end fabs. They're going to be the 15 nanometer or sub size. They're not going to build the the SAMD 21Gs that we need. And they won't because the profit margin won't be high enough. On they won't them. be high enough. That's yeah. exactly why. So. Yeah, DJ in chat, STM32s have just completely evaporated. What's interesting is, so I was going with the ATI, uh, 18 Mega SAMD uh, 
Gs is that's the chip that is on the Arduino Nano. No, what Arduino is that? Zero. On? Arduino Zero has that that SAMD chip on, and uh, that's actually what we started prototyping with on the Pinatar, which is the next generation pinball controller that we designed. And then when all of this was going down, we started exploring other options of microcontrollers. And if you just took a couple of jogs in the data sheet to a different section, and we're like, oh, our code will fit on that microcontroller. Barely. And barely, but it does fit. And so we could switch um, a switch to a different line, You're basically. giving away all our secrets. I'm not saying which one it is. It's not... <laughs> It's the, Z, it's the Z80. I mean... <laughs> it's the Z80. No, I'll put this way. It's already out of stock, so don't worry about it. <laughs> well, plus, I've read I've read multiple articles about pretty much every manufacturer trying... Like, Tesla's had the same problem. Initially, they, they were doing okay, and now they've had to start re-engineering their designs to use different stuff that's in stock. So... And that's expensive. We have some products at, at work right now that uh, we quoted out processors and they're asking f over $50 per processor. And at that point, we're like, well, it's worth redesigning the entire product to just use a different processor that is in stock. I know we got off topic from open source hardware, but I think it's yeah, also uh, important. All, all I would say like on open hardware, my last thought is like find an open hardware project and support it. Because if you wanna, if you care, and you want to see more of it, find a way to support it, even if that's just giving them a hug, or I guess you can't during COVID, but, or send them a nice email, or buy their, buy their product. Wait, does buy their stuff. Does this mean yeah. you're not gonna give me a hug, Chris? I don't want a hug from you, by the way. <laughs> I don't think you do open hardware, do you? Well, I also don't like hugs. Yeah, but. No, I did open, I do open hardware. Not for the, oh, oh, can, oh, this is my, can I talk about capitalism? Sure. Like when I do things like what my sister I've never heard of that. What is that? Ah, oh, it's this weird thing. I mean, you 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 Zoomer kids might not have heard about it. It's like if you have a skill that other people don't, you can make money for it. I know it's crazy, right? Like doctors and dentists and stuff. No, but I'll have people like email me and they're like, "Hey, we see like your accessibility controllers. Will you give us a 3D files for it?" And I'm like, "No." Because I make money building these. So, and you know what? You know what? I'm just being selfish. That's how I make my money. And, well, you know, some of it. Or, or like with my latency monitors. I actually had a company in China buy one of those. And I'm like, oh, God, should I sell this to them? <laughs> Although I actually had NVIDIA rip off part of it. Like the time of flight. No? You got talking in your mind. Oh, I can't say that? No. No, you can say it. I don't care. I don't know if they ripped it off, but they made something very similar. Like with their light sensor, although they used a photo... Well, I don't want to get in the weeds with that. You get in the weeds? Well... It's, this is an engineering podcast. Oh, okay then. We are so, all about the weeds. I was doing a time of flight sensor where you have this equipment that you would You just got talking to your microphone. You have this equipment <laughs> that would sense when the uh, the test, you know, the whoever's testing a video game would push a button like, oh, I'm going to fire my gun, I'm going to jump... And then the video game engine would like draw a square on the screen, like, oh, the player's done this or that. And then we put a sensor on the screen that detects when that happens. You can detect the total time of flight from the user pressing the button to the controller, you know, interpreting the button, putting it into like a serial form, putting it into a microcontroller, putting it over Wi-Fi, blah, 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 five stages of pipeline in the engine. And then finally, after the HDMI conversion, it appears on your screen, right? So we had a sensor for that. And actually, John Carmack uh, suggested I do that like 
nine years ago. But anyway, now uh, NVIDIA has a device that does the same thing. And I also sold them a couple of my units, so I kind of wonder if they were inspired by it. But you know what? If NVIDIA is inspired by me, that's cool. I'm okay with that. But, uh, oh, we got something for Steven. Well, okay, so so that's that's sort of uh, along along the lines of what we're we're, we're talking about. If uh, so, Chris, you mentioned like if you find a uh, open hardware project, support it. I I think it's uh, to go a little bit further than that. If you have learned from an open source or an open hardware project, then I would say support that. And I you know I know personally I've learned from a ton of them just like, hey, I don't know how to do XYZ circuit. I search Google for it. I find some project that was willing to supply their schematic and then I get to analyze it, look through it, and I became a better engineer because they posted something like that. That's a great situation above and beyond. Like even if you need or don't need whatever that project is, support it because they you learn something from them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is I think if you, if you think about it as a as I said an ecosystem, like you, we need to you know take care of it. You know, otherwise you might not have what you took for granted. Yeah, it, it actually boils way back to the beginning of this podcast where Stephen said the first thing you search for when you search for open source hardware is the philosophy behind open source hardware. And so if you want open source hardware to exist, you need to 100% support open source hardware, especially stuff that you use. Like if you are using Arduino, you should either one, contribute to the Arduino code base, or two, buy Arduino hardware legit ones. If you are using Arduino and you don't do those two things, you may not have one. Yeah, yeah. You might not have an Arduino in the future that you can leverage for your projects. What about projects that create custom code using Arduino and then sell it for third per third parties? So a lot of them do support or either funnel back money through donation or they because you can donate, which mm -hmm. is a, a way of giving back. So yeah, that'll be number three. Donate back. So when um, um, at Dynamic Perception, which is the company that I worked for with Chris Church, co-founder, founder of MacFeb. Um, we built a, or I didn't build, but I helped uh, finish up the design on a, a time-lapse controller for cameras that used an Arduino Dewey Mova. I think it was the one before the Uno. And we bought legit Arduinos because we used their code base and we um, wanted to make sure that, hey, we can still buy these hardwares and we support, oh, actually, that company was all open source, and we actually had the same problem. People were copying us all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I don't really know. Yeah. No, the, it's, the, it's, the solution is hard. The solution is hard, and there's also, I know we're running out of time here, um, but there was something that Chris said a long time ago that, that I just remembered about, which was the uh, ramps board that's in 3D printers. Yeah, and oh, yeah. Ulti-machine. Yeah, and, and um, I think it was, this is, also paraphrasing, but that designer said, I don't care if they copy because it makes my platform the standard, the right. standard which is another way to think about it. Yeah, I was going to add that as a counterpoint because I actually spoke with him at RepRap when you're at the, Rep, uh, the Midwest RepRap Festival, and I asked him how he felt about all the clones, and he said, he said, 
his attitude was they are going to copy me anyways. He said, but, or he said, you know, he's, he said, you can't stop it. He said, but by copying my, by opening up my design, they're copying it as it is and it becomes the standard. So when people are writing software for it, like the Marlin firmware, its target is the ramps board because that's the board that's everywhere and now the Rambo board and, and all the other forms. Well, and you, you could know. say though, some ego goes into that. Yeah, he wasn't really in it for the ego. He, he, but he said to me flat out that he said he would rather have his platform be the standard because then he can benefit from the software side. Yeah, yeah well, no, no, I agree. Benefit. No, no, I agree because it's um, the open source software is probably the strongest it's ever been. Open source software is probably the strongest. Like, you got Microsoft supporting it. Uh, Microsoft is supporting Linux. Like, that. Well, because Microsoft is eventually going to switch to Linux. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> Ten years from now, you'll be like, wow, Ben's a genius. You mean that is like their kernel? Yes, it will happen. Okay, okay. Um, I can see that happen. But regardless, is you have a lot of you have a lot of companies actually throwing a lot of weight it, that are, have been traditionally very closed source into open source software. So I that would make a lot of sense for if you could make your hardware for a certain sector the the de facto piece of hardware, and then you can get people writing a lot more software. Because that's the thing is. It seems easier for people to... I think the biggest problem with open source hardware is iterating on hardware is expensive. Building physical things is expensive. Whereas compiling a new piece of code is literally just pressing a button on your screen. And I think that might be the biggest division there is it costs a couple hundred bucks to run a new prototype versus pressing a button to see if your code works. Yeah, but even well, with that, well, also still... the knowledge base that goes behind a uh, uh, a chunk of software. I'm not at all saying that it's simpler than hardware, but the knowledge base to be able to learn that, I believe, is um, uh, the, the the barrier of entry is a little bit easier with software than it is with hardware. Uh, and so if you find open hardware and you have no idea anything about hardware, it, it's you're going to have a huge learning curve to be able to get into it and actually do something with it. And, and I'll say, going back to my point about supporting people, like with Ulta Machine, I know he, at least the last time I talked to him, he has a kind of laissez-faire attitude about the cloners, but I still buy my stuff from him. I still buy it things from him because I want to support him directly um, and that seems like a great way to do that so you know I realize that everyone you know often you don't have the budget for certain things or whatever but I just would encourage people to well, you, try you, to find a way to support you can also this. give back other ways like if you need to buy a five dollar Arduino versus a thirty dollar Arduino um, because of budget but all you have to do is look well maybe I can buy the five dollar Arduino and then Give two dollars to our to the Arduino Foundation. Yeah. Well, they say that like if you go to like Adafruit, right, and like look at all their drivers, which they have an amazing plethora of. They write like, a lot of software over there. Exactly, and they say please support Adafruit by buying one of our official products. Same kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So should we talk about uh, sponges to finish this off? No, you can go listen to the previous episode you were on. 
What about meatloaf recipes? Uh, no. No. I think we'll wrap up this episode with that. Did we talk about meatloaf uh, recipes on the last... I don't think we did. No. I think we talked about meatloaf, the, the, the uh, singer. singer. Oh, I got to meet meatloaf two months ago. He's not dead yet? I thought he was dead. No, he's still alive! <laughs> he's not dead. <laughs> he's not fat How's anymore either. So, all right, so we'll do this last story and then we'll quit the podcast. So, okay, I, I have to say, I really hate the fact that, like, the one thing, the defining characteristic of him has always been his weight. Like, uh, in ever like, if you watch, like, behind his voice is awesome, like, that, like 90% of it is like he gained a lot of weight, he lost a lot of weight, he gained a lot of weight. Well, he was always a large person, yeah, yeah that, mean, that's where he got the name Meatloaf. Because he was like a high school, like, not a quarterback, but he was like a defensive end or something. And he was like the meatloaf because he was like a big guy. Did he glue the whole offensive line together? Well, no. Well, yeah. And then he would have, he'd have a line that was like, I was a hell of a tackle and a varsity block. And when I rolled on me, other brown than rockin' them every Saturday night. Like, he, t- he sang so about ben, that ben, songs. have you ever thought about doing a parody meatloaf album? A parody Meatloaf album. It would be a tribute Meatloaf album. Well, but you could just listen to Meatloaf and it'd be <laughs> so the same this, thing. This involves hardware, right? So I'll tell you a story. So it was the first public showing of our new board system, Parker. Okay. The Pinotar. Mm-hmm. It was this horror convention. We're totally not pitching the Pinotar as a p- pl- uh, pinball platform. <laughs> no, I'm just self-indulgently telling the story. But it involves hardware. So it's the this horror convention down in, I don't know, it's down by the airport in Chicago, right? And Charlie's taking the Halloween game, which has our board in it, right? Okay. It's like our, our son or daughter or whatever gender it is. It's a it's a piece of hardware. It's a Minotaur. It so doesn't have gender. It's a, it's, it's a Minotaur. It's a monster, right? It's a monster. Anyway, so he's like... You remember the what what you owe me a steak for? Like the modifications oh, we had to make? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So I had to go down there. So the game's already on the floor of this convention, which is gonna open like, I don't know, at two PM on a Friday. And Charlie's like, Oh hey Ben, uh, you know, if you come down and uh, make sure the game's good to go, uh we get to be meatloaf. And I'm like, Okay, I'll do it. Right? Cause it's like two and a half hours from where I live. So I go down there. And we're sitting there. I got my solder and iron, so I'm sitting there. We rip over the game, and like we're soldering inside of it. And like, right you have the solder by the lights of the pinball machine. You mean like the dashboard lights? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you know, it's usual shit where it's like we're like soldering a machine two on hours on the floor. Yeah, that's on normal. the floor. <laughs> that's normal. Just to make sure, because we had that issue, which I won't. I won't go into detail, but we had an issue. We're like, okay, well, I guess the game's ready to run. And then all these kids come up and they start whapping the flippers, and I'm thinking, well, this is good, you know. If, if it's gonna fail, it's gonna fail, and the kids are going bruh, 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 with the flippers. Anyway, so like later that night, the show organizer who also bought one of the machines was like, "Okay, guys, you guys can go hang out with Meatloaf now, right?" <laughs> and so I'm sitting there outside of outside of the show, and the security guys are like, security guards are like, "No, man, you can't go in. You gotta stay here. You can't go in. You gotta stay here." And I'm like. I'm, I can go in. And they're like, they, they're like, no, you can't go in because you already went outside the doors. And I wasn't drunk. I was, was drunk a, later that was night. Was it a diode door? Yeah, it was like a diode door, that hot redhead. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just waiting. And so Charlie comes out and Charlie, Charlie's movie pinball is like, hey, Ben, what's the problem? And I'm like, 
they won't let me back inside, Charlie. He's like, oh, oh, well, I don't know. And so then he calls a show organizer, like the main guy, right? And so the show organizer comes up. He's like, yeah, it's okay. These guys are with me. And the security guy was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm was like, it Meatloaf himself? I'm like, don't worry about it, man. I'm not a Karen, right? So we go inside, and then we're hanging out with Meatloaf, right? So he's at his autograph table. We're just talking to him. And the thing is, he's got his, like, I don't know, his, like, agent or his handler over here. And she, she's like, Mr. Loaf, um, your wife. <laughs> well, we were hanging out with him for a while. And then she's like, okay, your wife is, uh, she, we've got a table for you. And uh, dinner will be ready for you at the restaurant in the hotel on the third floor or whatever. And whenever you're ready or blah, blah, blah. And so we're talking to Meatloaf, and we're like, oh, you know, would you like a pinball machine or whatever? He's like, yeah, that's cool, man. I heard Alice Cooper has one. That sounds great, man. Then we're talking for a while, and then I warned Charlie ahead of time that I would ask this. <laughs> and so, okay, so you can Google this. Anyone who's still listening to the podcast, you can Google this. Yeah, I'm just going for it, Parker. I don't care. There's this... It's either Lifetime or A&E or one of those, like, you know, like, housewife channels. HGTV. Yeah. There's a there's a series called The Haunting of Blank. And it's like they take these celebrities who had to deal with ghosts in their past. And they talk about it. So they got, like, The Haunting of Hillary Swank. Oh, Meatloaf did one of those. And there's one called The Haunting of Meatloaf. <laughs> Is it actually called The Haunting of Meatloaf? It's called The Haunting oh of Meatloaf. You can go on YouTube and type in The Haunting of Meatloaf. And there was a result. It's like a Hallmark Channel show. And so it's like the, 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 the studio, which is like an old house, that they recorded the first Bat of the Hell album in. And he's like, man, this place is filled with ghosts. And so what they do in the show, The Haunting of Whoever, they go back to the location and the celebrity faces their demons, quite literally. Well, demons are different than ghosts as far as that mythology goes. But anyway, so Meatloaf is like, I'm not afraid of you anymore in the TV show. We made the number three album of all time in here. I'm not afraid of you. He's like trash talking the ghost. Trash <laughs> talking the ghost. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's the show. So we're talking to Meatloaf and we're like asking him if he will ever want to make a pin or whatever. Anyway, I'm like, I have to ask. So this is me talking to Meatloaf. What's the deal with the haunting of Meatloaf? And his eyes go wide as saucers. He's like, oh man, that, that place was super haunted, man. And then he just starts talking about ghosts for like half an hour. <laughs> and so he's, and he's like, you know what? You ever walk through the streets of New York City? I'm like, yeah, I've been there. You probably walked past a ghost. <laughs> he's talking. So anyway, so his handler, who's like this pleasant woman, you know, she's like, she's like kind of like, she's kind of like, you know, she's not mad at us. It's like she's concerned because Meatloaf is still talking about ghosts. <laughs> and so, and so we, Charlie and I are like, okay. Because this is, this is my experiment. Like, when you talk to a celebrity, like if you meet William Shatner, you don't talk about Star Trek. You talk about horses, right? Or like something scallops. Random. Yeah, no, something no, not weird. random. Something they, they like a lot. Oh, okay. And okay, with Meatloaf, okay. he loves ghosts. Anyway, so we're like, okay, well, your wife, we're, we were saying, we're going to let you go. Your wife's waiting for you, you know, to get your dinner. And so we're walking back. So we're, we're walking back 
to the main like courtyard or whatever the elevator and meatloaf is still talking about ghosts like the whole time <laughs> so and we get to the escalator and we actually deliberately even though we were going up to the bar the same level he was going to we had deliberately stayed one level below because we didn't want him to get in trouble with his wife right so he's going up the escalator and he's still looking off the edge of the escalator he's looking off the edge of the escalator talking down to us he's like blah 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 ghosts and we're like okay have a good evening with your wife, sir. Has he ever had a song about ghosts? I don't know. He needs I, to. I, I could see him being in his hotel room that night, and uh, he wakes up, and there's a floating casserole. <laughs> oh, oh, it's dry. <laughs> How's that have to do with open source hardware? Nothing at all. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast, and we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. And we have guests. Chris Kraft. Ben Heck. And Audio Jesus. Later, everyone. Take it easy.